0: I like to describe Wi-Fi, the the protocol for it is 802.11. It is the most Southern of of protocols because it's polite.
1: Welcome to episode 410 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Jess Delfiaco, communications manager here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. In today's episode, Christopher talks with Heather Williams, also known as Mo, of Ruckus Networks and the show This Week in Tech at the Twit Network. Heather starts off by talking a little bit about her work and the history of Ruckus Networks. Then, she and Christopher discuss all things Wi-Fi, its unique characteristics, how it's evolved over time, and how the recent FCC decision to open up more spectrum is affecting the ability to provide Wi-Fi. Here's Christopher talking with Heather Williams of Ruckus Networks.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in my St. Paul office in my home, and I'm here talking to Heather Williams, who's more commonly known by Mo, uh, who is a manager of a solutions engineering group at Ruckus Networks, which is now a Comscope company. Welcome to the show, Heather.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: And I already forgot, I should have called you Mo. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's all right i answered any. i have four kids i answered anything
2: i'm sure they respect you enough that it's not anything
0: <laughs> i don't know about that either i was a pretty snarky mom i'm gonna have to take what i dished out
2: so um some of the people that are listening i think their ears are already perked up to hear um ruckus networks um can you just give us a little bit about the history of of ruckus um i know it's now in, in comscope but it had its own storied tradition
0: yeah, it it did and I started my uh, career at Nortel and so I got in on the ground floor of uh, Wi-Fi funnily enough uh before we had the alphabet soup um and then I I joined Ruckus um I like to say I was employee 101 I'm not sure exactly what we weren't even counting back then um so we were a small scrappy startup uh company uh, when I joined them in 2010 um and nothing work uh, about working for Nortel a big behemoth of a <laughs> of a titanic uh, prepared you, prepares you for going to work for you know a scrappy snarky uh, startup and and ruckus really i mean the name the logo it all started as um, we had to, you know a couple of brilliant engineers uh, mathematician and the guy who one of the guys who helped invent multi-user mimo um, were at the core of it and then he had a bunch of just really hard-working get-her-done Um, scrappers and we were out there to make a ruckus and and shake things up so we had some really uh, distinctive technologies and we had a pretty distinctive attitude uh, to go with it and so it's it's been a fun ride so that's ruckus what do you do well, when I started with Ruckus, I actually was the training department. I, I didn't start out to be the training department. I had people who hired me, within a couple of months, they sort of got off the uh, the, the startup uh, roller coaster ride, and I ended up being <laughs> the entire training department for like the next three years. When I started, they said I was going to travel 10 to 25% of the time, and it ended up the last year that I was in the training department, I I set records for wheels down to wheels up. Uh, Within measured in hours, and I would be gone uh, across Europe, Asia, and Africa for four to six weeks at a time. And that in in and of itself was uh, was a great experience. Um, But it's uh, it's also exemplifies the just the attitude that we had at Ruckus. I mean, what it whatever it took to get um, things done. I moved from uh, the training department. I uh, I got hired in by just world's best boss. She was the first female SE at uh, Aruba, and then she was the first female SE at, at uh, Ruckus, and then she hired the second female uh, uh, SE. And so I uh, took care of the national accounts across uh, North America. So I had the distributors and CDW, um, uh, any any partner or bar that had a, uh, a nationwide footprint. Um, I'd like to say I quit traveling as much. It's just that I stayed in just three time zones instead, hmm. instead of all of the time zones. Um, for a couple of years. And then, it, and Ruckus has had quite an acquisition story. So we've, had, we've gone through Brocade, Eris, and now uh, Comscope. So somewhere in there, um, we uh, sort of broke off and started the solutions engineering team. So we basically span um, the divide between the engineering PLM um, and the field uh, sales guys and, and, and SEs. So we sort of bring all of those pieces together. We do a lot of white papers and things like that. We're the nerds.
2: (laughs) I think you could have just um, (laughs) stuck with we're the nerds. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to I mention, we're going to talk about Wi-Fi a lot, about really exciting developments. But um, I think it's also worth noting, you have great sound. Um, you're a co-host on This Week in uh, Enterprise Tech, on the uh, This Week in Tech, the Twit Network. Um, one of the, I mean, frankly, in, in my mind, the the birth of podcasting from um, uh, in terms of making it popular, exciting, and cool. But um, also, you're coming from a uh, an oasis of decent connectivity in uh, part of Texas that doesn't have very much of it. And I just wanted to know if you want to give a shout out to the WISP you're working with.
0: Yeah, I absolutely do. And I, I, I you know, working with uh, quiet, uh guys, I feel like uh, most of my life, uh, especially my professional career, has been just one sheer dumb luck um, coincidence after another. Um, so I was the Wi-Fi engineer for Interop, and that's how I met Padre and Brian Chi. Um, And so that's how I ended up uh, later on becoming involved with Twyatt. But uh, we have moved um, from I I raised four kids in the suburbs of Dallas um, and the last of them went off to college and we moved out here to what we thought was going to be our retirement home. So we now live in a 900 square foot log cabin on the lake and and my husband's a network engineer. He he teaches um, for global knowledge. And he's not on the road, as none of us are now. Um, He's teaching um, using um, a web-based platform. I had to jury-rig the ever-loving heck out of what the possibilities were for out here. So we had, I stitched together. um, We had a a cell booster to get decent signal into this cabin. Um, I had a satellite backhaul that I used very parsimoniously for emails and things (laughs) like that. And then I also have just, you know, an outrageously expensive um, uh, data plan on the one cell provider that I could get decent signal for out here. And we lived like that for about two years. Um, I was always on the lookout for other options, um, especially during spring rainy season when the satellite was just out for days at a time. And it's because of that that I got to understand a lot more about WISPs. You know, it's funny. Until I moved out here, I really just did not understand the plight of rural America. Um, it's 96% of the landmass of the U.S. Um, and the challenges out here are incredible. So WISPs are truly the superheroes, of, especially for uh broadband equity and rural connectivity. So the WISP that I'm working with is very thin margins, uh, mom and pop place called uh, Next Wave. And um, it took about a year uh, to, we, we had to uh, do site surveys and then uh, they uh, ended up putting in a tower. But I'm in a neighborhood of probably about 200 households that live uh, out here full time. We're basically a fishing village, <laughs> um, that's outside of town, maybe, um, a third of the, uh, of the owners out here actually live out here full time now that, and, and now we have, um, as good or better connectivity, um, as anybody in the entire County.
2: Excellent. So let's turn to, to wifi. Um, you know, I, I actually gave a broadband basics webinar today and I was, I was saying, I think, I chafe a little bit whenever I hear people, often elected officials, confusing broadband with Wi-Fi <laughs> as <laughs> other interchangeable words. Um, yeah. And and as I was I was thinking about this interview and talking about where Wi-Fi is going, I I was re- recollecting on just how amazing it is. I mean, you have this technology that was given this this junk band of spectrum that microwaves and others. There's all kinds of interference potentials, all kinds of um, reason to think that it wasn't very valuable and created. Um, just all of this value, the ability to connect devices. I, I think Wi-Fi is one of the the biggest success stories of computers and internetworking. Um, but I'm curious, when, just broadly, what do you think of when you think about Wi-Fi?
0: You, you've summed that up quite nicely. I think that it was a, it was sort of, you know, the, the FCC went out on a, a limb back in like 97 when they did this and they just gave this, all this spectrum with, And and with really wide channels compared to where the licensed um, spectrum is, uh, the way it's allocated. You know, I'd like to think that they were being prescient and they sort of knew what they were doing. But I I think like my career, it was just a sheer dumb luck. It accidentally worked out and has been a huge... um, it's really driven uh, a lot of economies, and it's it's allowed so many things to uh, to occur. That I don't know that anybody could have predicted it. Uh, it's it, until this most recent decision. I'd say that that decision in '97 was the single best thing that the FCC has has done. It, it's it, it. I can't overstate. And yes, you're right. I I when people say Wi-Fi, you know, oh the Wi-Fi here is bad. Well, <laughs> did you get an IP address? No. So. <laughs> It's not the (laughs) Wi-Fi. So, yeah, I have have these conversations all the time. And I have um, what is the quintessential, you know, cliche of a mother when it comes to technology. She can't tell when she's uh, using uh, data cellular versus, uh, you know, on the Mm Wi-Fi. So, yeah, I I frequently cringe, although I think I've sort of become inured to it now when people say things. I think most of
2: us have. Um, just sort of one of those things you're like, am I going to fight this battle? No, not right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you, you mentioned um, the, the, the prescient decision in 97, I think it's worth um, just discussing the, the role that the fact that this is um, Lysix exempt spectrum. That uh, basically anyone can use it. Um, and, um, you know, if you could just explain that to someone who might not be very familiar with it.
0: For those of you who don't know me, you probably can figure it out from my accent. Um, um, I was not born here, but got here before I could talk. Um, so I, I live in the South, and I like to describe Wi Fi. The, the protocol for it is 802.11. It is the most southern. Of, of protocols because it's polite it's <laughs> it's it's an unlicensed spectrum so everybody gets to use it and the goal and built into the the protocol you have you have to basically create that four-way stop sort of rules so you know who gets to go um how do we make a decision uh, who gets to transmit who gets to receive um and how do you uh nicely share the spectrum with everybody else because It's there for everybody. It's not licensed. Your neighbor uh, turns on an an access point. They're allowed to do that. You're not allowed to tell them that they can't. And so you have to build into the technology itself a way to enforce and ascribe this uh, Southern politeness. And and, basically, we all have to get along.
2: One of the things that that, you you mentioned um, is that... um is that you have all these different devices that are then talking and figuring out when to listen, but they're not made by different manufacturers. And I, you know, I, I didn't realize how special it is that Wi-Fi operates in that way, and certainly Bluetooth does. There's other protocols that do, but when I learned about the uh, GPON, the Gigabit Passive Optical Network standard, and the fact that that you can't just rip and replace gear from different vendors because like it's it's a standard. I, I mean, I thought I knew what that word means, but it doesn't really act that way in a lot of right. ways. It seems like, whereas with Wi-Fi, it does.
0: Yeah, it does, and 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 it's it and it's because it, at its heart, it was uh, the way it was rolled out and developed. So when we first started with with Wi-Fi, we didn't actually have any letters uh, after So it was eight hundred two point eleven. We had absolutely no speed, but it didn't matter because you weren't using it for anything. I mean, there wasn't, I mean, gasp, there wasn't, you know, um, YouTube. There, there weren't all these things that, um, when I tell my kids that I'm older than Google, they don't, they don't actually know what to, uh, <laughs> to think about that. Um, so, I mean, the use case was you, you wanted to get from your desktop to, to be able to email, Uh, without having to stick a a cable in or be able to walk down the hall to um, a conference room and just be able to email. So it just really wasn't that big a deal. Um, And we also didn't worry about roaming because you weren't walking down the hallway to that conference center, you know, um, and, and trying to stay connected. Uh, we then pretty quickly got started getting the amendments or, you know, changes. So we had the uh, B and then A. They actually came out in, in that order. Uh, and that gave us two, uh, two different frequencies. So we have now today um, most a- a enterprise uh, access points will operate on two different radios. And so they're, the laws of physics says they're completely separate from each other. And you can use one radio or the other. So we went from A to B, then G, then N. And it was the, was really the game changer, 802.11n, because it introduced multi-user MIMO. It made big changes in how we had to deploy and site surveys and everything. But more importantly, it helped drive the use of that second radio, the 5 gigahertz uh, radio. Um, and AC did even more to, uh, to push the adoption of that, that radio that gave us so many extra channels. The important thing that I'm getting to with that one is that we had to share parts of the uh, 5 gigahertz range. So they've broken up into uni 1, 2, and 3. So this is the unlicensed spectrum uh, that the FCC defined. When you say uni, that word comes up a lot. What What is uni? (laughs) <laughs> so I actually made sure that I had that pulled up because <laughs> I don't, you know, we use these uh, acronyms so often that even we forget uh, and don't necessarily always remember. So that's actually unlicensed national information infrastructure. Okay. Um, and this is, and, and so, and that's in the five gigahertz range. So we have uh, channels at the lower end are in uni one and then uni two and uni three. Um, we get to use uni two, a and C so we used to use part of that spectrum but it was it has incumbents so we have people that are uh, that have access to that space and that' were already there and they're pretty important because it's the Doppler radar um, some of the military radars and everything so built into the protocol we had to figure out a way to share that space and to give precedence so we have to listen on that on those channels and if we're trying to use those channels and we hear, somebody who takes precedence or um, uh, the, an incumbent user, we have to vacate it. And we have to have – and by we, I'm talking I'm, – I'm the access point at this point. And I have to be able to tell my clients that are, that are on the sh- same channel, hey, y'all, we're leaving this channel. Meet me over here on this channel. Mm-hmm. Boom. That's it. And so and – and that's important because this same kind of methodology – um, and also some methodologies that have been proven to work with CBRS is going to be used in the new um, the new uh, frequency that's been opened up.
2: And you also said uh, MIMO a couple of times, and I'm, I'm sure that's one of the one of those uh, acronyms that people have heard frequently. What is MIMO?
0: So MIMO is multi user, multiple user, uh, uh, multiple access. So you can go in and out. So here's the thing. Um, think of Wi-Fi um, as though it's sound. Because the radios are listening to each other. So now think of it like it, you're um, uh, in a military unit, and you need to talk to each other across these uh, these radios. So there's there's protocols for talking to each other that way. So you have to clear cha- say clear channel. You have to uh, uh, end the conversation with Roger or out. You know, I, I obviously have no military background. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we also. But you movies, have to though. be able to announce. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've read I've read a few books. <laughs> um, uh, so you have to be able to, to, you know, say how we're going to, uh, how we're going to talk, um, before, um, 11N, one of the worst things in, uh in wifi was something called multipath. So if you go back to your eighth grade science classes that everybody remembers the terminology of, right. So we have this sound that's going out and now we're going to think of it like light going through a prism. So as, as the, as the sound goes out, it's going to bounce off of, um, highly reflective surfaces like glass and metal um, it might be scattered through other surfaces like uh, say a wire fence um, but all of that is going to uh, affect these ripples of sound so now I'm going to use ripples in a pond uh, analogy I tend to like throw them all in there but at, so if you're in a building or you're in a room and you're sending out you're, you're broadcasting to an access point and these signals uh, bounce off you get basically echoes um, and it can make it. Uh, it can actually degrade the quality of the sound, as you can imagine. So the entire point of doing a network design or trying to figure out how to deploy Wi-Fi pre uh, multi-user MIMO is um, basically you stuck the access point in the middle of the room and hoped for the best. <laughs> so it broadcasts out, you know, in this 360 degree range, and you just hoped that you know to minimize the MIMO. And so. What happened with uh, 11N is that these uh, scientists, these uh, these engineers, sat down and, and looked at antennas and said, look, there's no way to mitigate this. Let's figure out a way to make it work for us. And so now instead of it degrading the sound, what uh, what they figured out to do is to be able to listen and make it an additive effect. So they can pick the signal that's the strongest or the clearest. Um, there was some ideas uh, uh, a long time ago uh about beam forming to, to see if we could make an additive effect and, and, and time it so that the sound gets there at just the right offset. So you can add it. Uh, that doesn't work out so well, it turns out, but that's okay. <laughs> you try, we <laughs> try, um, you know, it can't the, all be the, winners. <laughs> no. And, and here's the thing, the nice thing about, this is the other nice thing about, uh, and, uh, about Wi-Fi And you were talking about the interoperability and how you have all of these client devices, just talking about Android phones. Holy cow! How many different Android um, Wi-Fi drivers are there? Because they're all different. So then you have Apple devices. Then you have all the laptops and different operating systems, and they all have different drivers. And yeah, they all use the protocol, and they all they all work, um, but they all work a little bit differently. So as a Wi-Fi vendor, and and as the Wi-Fi Alliance has worked. Uh, with adding, uh, you know, making amendments, tweaking, you know, continuing to innovate, a good part of our time and energy is figuring out how to mitigate bad client behavior. And -hmm. we're doing it without knowing exactly how those clients work. We can see the effect, but we don't get a look under the hood because there's no way that, you know, these vendors are going to, you know, open up the uh, curtain and let us look behind um, as, as Wi-Fi vendors. So we just have to guess. Uh, so you, you saw things early on uh, where, like, Apple clients, would, we would call them sticky. So you would walk into um, a room, say, a big conference uh, room, um, and your, your device would associate to the, uh, to the access point, but then you didn't stay there. You walked to the other side of the room, way over to the other side of the room, because that's where the bar was. Mm-hmm. But your phone stays connected to that first access point. And so you get further and further away. You get weaker and weaker signal. But the Apples were just the most commit, overly committed girlfriend you've ever seen. They're like, no, I can make this relationship work. I'm going to stick it out.
2: I see a much better signal over here, but I'm not going to go to it. No,
0: no, because <laughs> I, am, I am faithful. There was a Wi-Fi um, uh, amendment that was designed to help mitigate that where we could say, well, the APs are going to share information about their neighbors. So as I see you moving away... And getting a weaker and weaker signal, I know that that other AP is offering a better signal. I'm going to introduce you, and so then the and the access point is always the man in the in this analogy because the client is the one that makes the decision. So the women women are in charge of the relationship; they make the decisions. <laughs> the men just try to you know help help us make better decisions, right? So you walk over to the bar. <laughs> the access point one says, "You know." I just don't think this is working out between us. But I have this cousin over here. I'd like to introduce <laughs> you. And, and on paper, that sounds like a great idea. Um, in reality, a lot of the Apple devices reacted the exact way you would think a woman would react. Oh, I wait a gonna second. I was going to say, it seems
2: very reality. Yeah. <laughs>
0: wait a second. <laughs> Uh, so you're breaking up with me and you're trying to pawn me off on your cousin. So the hell with both of you. I'm blacklisting both of you for 15 minutes. And that was a very (laughs) rude awakening for, for Wi-Fi vendors to figure out how to, okay, we were trying to be nice. (laughs) And, and you know, it's just sort of like every, every time we come up with a new way to innovate or try, try to improve a user experience, especially as use cases evolve, um, the various client devices and driver behaviors. Uh, they just say, hold my beer. I, I found another way to challenge your life.
2: Uh, you mentioned channels a couple of times also, and I think it's worth noting in this, um, again, prelude into uh, the discussion about recent developments, but um, what is a what is a channel, um, and why does it matter whether it's big or small or how many there are?
0: Yeah, so uh, basically a channel is, think of it as a lane on a highway. Um, and so in the 2.4 gig Radio channel space we actually have, uh, depending on what country you you live in, 11 to 13 channels. But the way the channels overlap, um, we basically have three distinct non-overlapping non-over- lanes, so, so that you can you don't have to worry about somebody swerving into your lane. You can just it's a th- three-lane highway. Everybody can go there. The problem is that there are a lot of clients that are 2.4, and all of the legacy clients are 2.4 only. And the influx of all of these new IoT devices are mostly 2.4. Um, and so there's a lot of congestion.
2: Particularly in, in apartment buildings. You know, People that, that are in big suburban homes might not see this as much. But if you're in an apartment building, yeah. uh, you, know, you have hundreds of radios that are all yeah. trying to use those three channels or three, three effective channels.
0: MDU uh, multiple dwelling units and um, and density uh, environments like say uh, uh, you know black hat um, which I, I'm the Wi-Fi engineer for that so you you will see um, on the expo floor for example um, at any given time in the 2.4 I can see um, I've seen 1,200 radios um, if you do if you, if you've got 1,200 radios all trying to talk across only three channels and invariably you've got that one jackass printer that's trying to sit on two channels at the same time across (laughs) two of those channels and you know it never fails um that i've never been at a at a conference where i didn't see uh something like that so yeah it's it's very congested you talked earlier about interference there's other um devices non-wi-fi devices so in addition to all of the legacy and iot devices trying to cram onto that spectrum um, you also have, uh, all of the things that interfere with it. We, at one point we had, uh, uh, handsets. I now live in an area that has no landline, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, but, uh, uh, wireless, uh, t- uh telephones, um, you know, baby monitors, uh, uh, microwaves, things like that can cause, uh, some, some real problems with 2.4.
2: Fortunately, a lot of the baby monitors are moving into uh, IP space where they can be viewed from, from Ukraine or Russia or China. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, that did actually play a big, uh, role in my very careful search for a, a wisp. Um, and I talked with several of them, the wisps, I, I've, I've called them superheroes and I stand by that statement. Um, God love them. I don't like to get on a step ladder anymore. I'm not climbing up to a, a water tower or a grain tower to to try to fix a a radio that just got the heck knocked out of it by a windstorm, as happens out here. Um, but they also operate on very very thin margins, and uh, so a lot of their decisions on uh, what technology to deploy is is it has to be an economic one, and so there are some technologies out there that are um, from iffier vendors that I've had to to talk pretty carefully about uh, with them. <laughs> I won't I won't I won't name some of the vendors, uh, but there's a supply chain problem with uh, um, with some of those. And I'm not saying that you know the NSA hasn't s- shoved something into sure. Cisco r- uh, r- routers because we all know they have. Um, but yeah, I don't feel the need to port my uh, my data uh, all the way back to you know China, the Ukraine, Russia.
2: So um, I interrupted you um, on the, the channels, but in, in general, um, we're moving toward bigger channels, I think, right?
0: I know that a lot of people are very excited about wider channels um, as somebody who this primarily – It's a very
2: nice, gentle correction.
0: <laughs> well, it's no, it's just it, – so I have a different uh, – I have a slightly skewed uh, viewpoint because um, I live in two very weird worlds. I live out here in the middle of nowhere where I can – I'll take 160 uh, a megahertz wide channel which is the entire uh spectrum for uh on the 5 gig right now um i don't but i could uh because there's nobody else out out here i mean mm-hmm. if, uh, my neighbors are so far and there so few of them actually have wi-fi that um it, this is as close to a greenfield deployment as you're going to see um yeah, short of going to mars actually i think mars may have more wi-fi at this point um <laughs> I'm the Wi-Fi engineer for Black Hat. So um, I'm fighting not only... uh, When we're in Vegas, I'm fighting not only all of the stuff that the vendors are bringing and trying to run, the house infrastructure is sitting on uh, all of that spectrum. So I'm trying really hard to be a good neighbor and use Wi-Fi. So... Uh, in those density environments, we still like to use um, 20 megahertz channels even at the 5 gig because for me, it's about channel reuse. Again, if you remember that a channel is like a lane on the highway, mm-hmm. um, if we're all on channel 36, which is the first channel in the 5 gigahertz, if I'm the only one there, I get 100% of the airtime. If I'm, if there's another client out there, then we get, we split it. We get 50%. So for every person you add, you're cutting. You divide that channel use fairly equally. Um, there are some uh, mitigations in there um so uh, for me it's about channel reuse um for the most part in in high density environments and especially like in an mdu environment like where you were talking about i'm i'm old enough and i've been in wi-fi long enough that i can remember when it was just a herculean effort to get client devices that were five gig so to get them off of the 2.4 Right. And use this nice, this nice, new, shiny spectrum that we had that nobody was using very well. Um, and and the encouragement was to get everybody onto 5 gig so that the legacy clients, the devices that could not use it, we were cl- clearing up those uh, 2.4 gigahertz radio channels for the, the three of them. And then what happened after 11AC uh, came out? So that would that would be, um, and now we now we have to learn all new names for these. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of people like this, but. Uh, the new uh, n- naming uh, convention.
2: I was gonna say the the Wi-Fi six seems like it's when the nerds lost, and we just went to a. Discipline. I know. And there's so much excitement. You mentioned before. You just mentioned with the channel sizes. One of the enthusiastic responses about Wi-Fi six, I think, is that we can. Is that the radios can create? Um, um, I don't know. I want to say smaller channels, but I feel like you're gonna say narrower or something, <laughs> which is the the proper term. Um, but uh, for devices that don't need a lot. Lot of transferring, you know like the internet of things devices and things like right. that um, that's one of the goals i thought of, of wi-fi six
0: yeah so wi-fi six is 11 ax the previous amendment was 11 ac and that's what we are now calling wi-fi five i i and you're right i've lost that battle i'm just <laughs> um, i feel like um don't worry we'll know, get
2: decimals soon enough <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it, I, feel, it, I, I feel as sorry for myself as I would uh, feel for, like, my doctor who has to dumb 12 years of learning down to explain to me, you know, what my test results are. So, okay, fine. We're going to call it Wi-Fi six five. So uh, the, the nice thing about uh, Wi-Fi 5, which was 11AC, that was 5 gig only. So it did not apply to the 2.4 gig channels. They stayed at 11n. And uh, the other nice thing about Wi-Fi that we haven't mentioned is that it has been manically um, attached to backwards compatibility. But We've even um, taken some uh, performance hits at one point uh, to make sure that we were bringing everybody along and and playing nicely with the older devices. So just because we innovate on the access point side or on the uh, technology side, we're not going to, you know, leave no client behind, uh, sort of attitude. So with 11 AC being five gig only was the finally we got the new client devices had to come along and be, you know, dual band. And so we could get, so now that's when you really saw five gig, um, channel space, start getting all cluttered up the same way, the 2.4, we've finally started reusing that. I know that my first couple of years at black hat, um, you remember I told you we we uh, in five gig we have uni one, uh, uni two A and C, and then uni three. Well, the uni two is the is the band that we had the incumbents and you had to play nicely. It's called DFS. It's dynamic frequency selection. Um, so we had to be able to announce a channel change. Um, for a long time vendors either didn't support that uh, that channel, and, and I know the Mandalay Bay in particular did not use uni two channels. Mm-hmm. And so that meant they had left this entire set of like, I don't all of these channels that were there for me and me only. And I, they were awesome. And then uh, I think it was two years ago, they they did a, a forklift upgrade and they're sitting on all of the channels. Now, so but it was nice while it lasted. It was it was really nice. So, yeah, with five gig, we got all of the we we got um, uh, how many? 25 channels. Um, and we, had get the, we got the ability to channel bond, which is where you were going with um, being able to make these wider channels. So instead of 20 megahertz wide channels, we get 40 megahertz wide channels. And there's a really nice way of uh, understanding what the, the benefit with that is. Um, aside from being able to be more efficient because you have less, you know, clear to send, uh, less acknowledgments uh, or fewer because you're able to send more, you know, bigger chunks of data. It's uh, again, go back to the highway uh, lane analogy. So now instead of having this one lane um, that is a set car width wide is now twice that width, which means I can now more safely go faster because I don't need to worry about whether I'm bouncing along in the lane in just in that one narrow lane. Um, and that's the best analogy I've been able to come up with with why I uh, why were able to do that. And it also explains why on a three lane highway. Like 2.4 gig radio is, you don't want the printer sitting in two of those <laughs> lanes. That's just not southern.
2: <laughs> so let's let's fast forward. That Wi-Fi six, a lot of exciting changes, and um, I feel like has now been overshadowed by uh, what might be one of the best FCC decisions ever. Um, tell us about what the what the what the Federal Communications Commission recently decided.
0: Yeah and I'm not I'm just going to take the gloves off. I mean you could knock me over with a feather because the number of good decisions coming out of this FCC um in the last 3 or 4 years have been none as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um now I'm not saying that this uh, uh this is uh an acceptable replacement, you know, a, a, a mea culpa that makes uh Things like the loss of net neutrality go away, but I will say this is this is pretty exciting. So we have uh, Wi-Fi 6, you know, the 11AX protocol, um, and what the FCC has done um, just recently, what, was like two weeks ago now? It feels right. like time has dilated. It could this be year, three so. weeks
2: by the time the show airs.
0: <laughs> okay, well, it doesn't matter because January was five years ago now. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> the time dilation effect has been astounding. Uh, yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, what they've done is they have opened up a huge amount of spectrum. I mean, huge. We we went from 2.4 to 5 gig, and we able to start using that. We went from three non-overlapping channels to 25, and and we were all just giddy as school kids about, like, what we were going to be able to do with this. Um, I don't think any of us at the time were even catching on to what IoT was going to do. Uh, to our lives, uh, let alone Wi-Fi calling um, and things like that.
2: Right, and just briefly, IoT being Internet of Things, just a proliferation of devices, and in particular perhaps cheaply made devices that don't have very good security practices and all kinds of other problems, but nonetheless are innumerable now.
0: We could do a whole other show on uh, IoT security uh, because uh, thanks to all of the time I've spent with my black hat friends, I am now paranoid This new um, spectrum that they have, I mean, just a massive chunk. It's uh, uh, 1,200 uh, uh, megahertz of of space that they're giving us. It's going to give us not 25 new channels, but 59 new channels. And it's going to use the same 11AX. So the Wi-Fi Alliance, in their wisdom, has decided arbitrarily to call this Wi-Fi
1: 6E. (laughs) <laughs> Little
0: e. The E stands for nothing, but that's okay because Wi-Fi doesn't actually stand for anything either. It's just a made-up <laughs> marketing term. So this yes. Wi-Fi 6E is basically taking 11AX that's already operating in 2.4 and 5 gig, and now it's adding a third band at the 6 gigahertz level. I, I told you I don't think that I'm overstating it when I say this is a game changer, and I think it's even a game changer for the the group of people that I um, have an affinity for, you know, the, the, the rural um, and the underserved areas. I got downright ugly with a few people occasionally, and I think I did it even on at once um, when we were talking about um, five, the, the 5G revolution. And if I hear one more person tell me about how 5G is going to just replace Wi-Fi, I may actually get violent.
2: Yeah, I was I was at an event in and, and I think it was T-Mobile people who were there and and they were making this case to um uh, MDU owners, uh, apartment buildings and things like that, saying basically, "Oh, you got all these Wi-Fi problems. Let us come in and manage it with 5G. It's going to be so much better." And in my head, I was just thinking, why in the heck would anyone want to do that? I mean, like if you have a, a sense of what it might cost you to go to um, a, a solution like that, I would assume T-Mobile will be charging so much money whereas Wi-Fi is effectively free I mean, to, to use.
0: There's, there's that. I mean, you, you, obviously some sales and marketing people just lost their minds over that and got thought they had uh, struck a whale in the candy shop or whatever you want to call it because first of all, um, in order to use five G, it's which is a cellular technology. You need to have a SIM card. So, what? How, how many things that you own have a SIM card?
2: Too many, and it's just one. And are you going to <laughs> and are you going
0: to drop? And now are you going to drop that SIM card and the attributed data plan associated with that into all of your devices that are right now basically Wi Fi? Or are you just going to make everybody go get a um, a SIM based? Access point, um, for example, and use the five uh, G for the backhaul, and then t- you still have Wi Fi at the, mm-hmm. as the last foot the, or the last several feet. Bottom line is, it's going to be a wireless technology that is the um, that is the onboarding, the on ramp onto these 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 highways. No matter whether it's cheap on or CBRS or Wi Fi or whatever your WISP is, is is using to to get it out there. It's either going to be uh, Wi-Fi or Zigbee or BLE. Some you've got to be able to get it onto the uh, onto the network, you know, onto the backhaul, and you're not going to put a SIM card in absolutely everything. So that's that's first, <laughs> and we haven't right. even got to the part where the the whole bait and switch because out here, I and I I've explained to you a couple of times. I live not – I do not have dead spots of cellular coverage out here. (laughs) You don't have live spots. I have oases of coverage. I go from – so, for instance, um, I was actually surprised that I could get a text message in here because inside this building, um, 100 yards from my house, I have actually no cell coverage usually. Um, We must be bouncing off the ionosphere correctly today for some reason. By the time I get to my yard, the uh, back part of my house – I've got cell coverage, and then there's a cell tower somewhere across the lake, and that's the one that my cell booster, that antenna, is pointing at. But as soon as I walk out, it's half a mile to my mailbox, and then it's another two miles to a water tower, and that water tower is where I can start playing Harry Potter again if I'm riding in the road because I have no cell coverage. Um, So don't tell me that 5G is going to solve all of my problems. I'm still waiting for 4G. And a lot of rural America is, so it's, it's simply not, not going to be um, the game changer. However, Wi-Fi 6E is going to provide the performance that 5G has promised, but will be years before it delivers out into a rural area. But you're going to get um, the faster throughputs, and more importantly, you're going to get the low latency. So for rural America, that's, that, that means that you, you're going to be able to do things like telework. And hold conference calls and things like that, that I am one of the few people out here. But, you know, I I have the technology mm-hmm. and the know-how and also um, the, the wherewithal to afford some, you know, a couple of different options for so that I can patchwork my connectivity together. In urban areas, um, uh, the, this low latency is going to be a huge game changer in terms of things like um, the self-driving cars. Um, and things like that. This is uh, 5G and, and and Wi-Fi 6E um, are going to be uh, to be huge.
2: Something that sometimes gets lost among people is they they forget that one of the great things about Wi-Fi is it's, it's on our side of the DMARC, right between us and the ISP. Even if you like your ISP, I like having a DMARC in which my network is my network, and the ISP really can't see into it. And it strikes me this vision of having 5G devices more and more well, it's just giving someone I don't trust vision into my network, into my things.
0: That's a really good point because uh, the the interesting thing is that Wi-Fi has suffered very early and has still not really shaken uh, the perception that it's an inherently insecure technology. Um, part of the problem is that the first uh, encryption algorithm, uh, WEP, was wired equivalency protection uh, privacy. And there's no wired equipment. There's, yeah, that's what, oh my God, I just went, who, the, who the heck named it that? There was it's wired equipment. Well, the truth in advertising, because you had the same privacy uh, on uh, on the wires you did with, with web. Because that obviously was cracked, literally uh, from the, from almost the get go.
2: Yeah, it was someone who didn't understand the Ethernet standard. That's for sure. <laughs> the, the The goal behind Ethernet being everyone shouts what they're trying to say to everyone else on the network, basically.
0: Well, you know, uh, it, like I said, can't—they're not all winners. So, um, but, but because of that, that I mean, and that—that that really was a black eye that we had to live with for uh, until we got uh, WPA, and then WPA two uh, was the replacement. That black eye um, uh, followed Wi-Fi for a while, especially in the enterprise, where the IT department's uh, knee-jerk reaction was, "No, we're not going to have Wi-Fi in the building because it's it's insecure," and they're they spent their time uh, hunting down rogue access points that people were bringing in and sticking under their desks. And of course I don't advocate doing that. So uh, you still have people who, um, and uh, in fact I sat in a Wireshark training class uh, in 2016 and the instructor said, yeah, don't use wifi. It's, it's just not secure. So 2016. <laughs> I don't know how many people here have an RJ 45 connector on their laptop at this point. Um, and since I use a Mac, I haven't had one in, uh, in years. Uh, but um,
2: yeah, but you can buy one for seventy-five dollars.
0: <laughs> I know Apple is. <laughs> I, I have been assimilated. I have all, all, all of the dongles. There's an a, a appearance that you know Wi-Fi has a security problem. We've obviously gotten much better at it. And uh, with uh, Wi-Fi six, we also uh, simultaneously got WPA three, which br- has brought in basically military-grade encryption. Uh, there are some things that are wrong with WPA3. Um, if anybody uh, w- wants to look at there's a great white paper that was written. I believe he called it Dragon Blood. WPA3 is uh, based on uh, a protocol called Dragonfly. And and there are some things that are wrong with it, and the, the Wi-Fi Alliance is, is going to be addressing those. Um, I'm expecting something later this year. I guess they're a little busy with some other things right now, but um, l- later this year they're, they're going to reconcile some things. We are seeing greatly improved security on, uh, on, on Wi-Fi. And the same cannot be said in, uh, I know that cellular, uh, there's a, this myth or this uh, idea that uh, cellular technologies are uh, much more secure. And I, as somebody who's been stung by a scorpion at Black Hat, um, and d- been deauthed off of my phone, I can assure you that uh, cellular technology is not as um, inherently secure as, as people like to think that think that it is
2: yeah i was just I was thinking that along the lines i mean it strikes me that i've I've always been stunned when I hear some of the the security um, updates. I listened to actually, uh, security now is the I mean that and Twit. I started listening to 14 years ago, um, and so Steve Gibson's uh, comes across every now and then and, and does remind people that the um, um, the 4G LTE like has these just shocking uh, vulnerabilities um, in it, um, and you know, I guess we all we all get used to those.
0: Yeah. There's the adage that a hackers gonna hack, so I, you know, I I never say that uh, anything is uh, is 100% secure. I, I think that every uh, uh, vendor out there that has claimed this is not hackable is um, uh, lived to regret the, uttering those words. So um, th- there will always be a way that to, to find a way around it. It's just th- what the the whole goal is to make yourself secure enough that. Um, What's the saying? You don't have to be the fastest one uh, trying to outrun the bear. You just have to be faster than the slowest one.
2: That's right. You just have yes. to make yourself
0: unattractive <laughs> enough to the to the hacker that, you know, somebody else is is more as a, a a better target.
2: Right. And the other thing is, is understanding your attack surface. You can't be perfect in all directions. So you need to have a sense of what you're trying to secure yourself against. I think you and I should talk about that more in a, in a different
0: show. Yes. Yes. Cause then I'll go on my wids and whips, uh, uh, rant. I, I would be <laughs> glad to have that conversation.
2: So as we, as we rack, up, rack up really quickly, um, what's the timing? Um, when is a normal person going to see this? And is their interface with it just going to be faster um, experience?
0: It's always true that the consumer grade um, access points and, and products. So you'll see something in Best Buy, you know, places like that before you'll see them um, at the enterprise grade, um, like a, a Ruckus AP. Um, I, I, it's possible that you'll see them by the end of the year. Um, since the wow. world is still trying to get restarted, I, I'm, I don't know if that's going to have much of an effect. The better question is when are we going to see client devices, um, to be able to take advantage of that. And, uh, mm-hmm. that is, uh, again, it, I think that in the economy that we have now, it's, um, uh, that's sort of a crapshoot. I, I don't know. I do know that the adoption rate has been, um, Faster and faster. So when we rolled out 11g, 11n, 11ac, um, we saw client devices out there um, fast each at each iteration, and it seems to be like a rog- logarithmic. It is getting. Um, I mean, there's a, a a point where it's just not going to be able to keep getting faster. But it's it, I I'd say that uh, by next year you're going to see client devices. Uh, And this one is so groundbreaking um, in terms of the capabilities that I think that you're going to, we're going to see it even faster than uh, uh, 11AC and 11AX, I really do. Uh, The other thing that you're going to see, and and I know that at the consumer level, and some of, there's some uh, enterprise grade uh, vendors, you'll, you've seen uh, maybe um, tri-band access points. Basically what that is, is uh, for the most part, that's a 2.4 gig radio and then two 5 gig radios. Not a fan. There's a reason why they're called the laws of physics. You know, there's some things that you (laughs) can't. Not the suggestions
2: of physics.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, um, it's again, it's eighth grade science or what should have been eighth grade science. Um, I think that going forward, what you're going to see is is actual uh, real uh, tri band and even better. Uh, So you'll have. Uh, access points that have 2.4 access points that have five gig now the six gig and also CBRS has come out and CBRS is also I think going to be a big game changer for um, the, the rural communities. so I, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to that I think uh, I think this is going to be a big game changer and for anybody who's in the middle of or approaching a, a refresh, I would uh, caution that you need to take a good, hard look at your access switches um, and switch ports because up until now, you could make a pretty good case for 1 gig, 30 uh, watt of power over Ethernet capabilities. Um, with great power comes great responsibility. And so with <laughs> these tri-band and bigger access points, um, they're going to need the power. The, the switches that are coming out now, the multi-gig uh, switch ports, you're actually going to see legitimate uh, legitimate use because you can uh, just the six gig radio alone will be able to tap out a one gig um, connection. It, um, we are now to the point where the wired side is going to have to uh, to uh, work hard to uh, be able to keep up with the wireless capabilities.
2: Well, I really hope we see the the Soho 10 gig port connections come down then. <laughs> 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 yeah. I've been, I've been looking around just for my own home upgrades as I'm trying to figure out how to wire things and, and whatnot. So, um, but that's a conversation we can add on to um, in the future. Mo, thank you so much for taking time today to, to um, share with us the background and, and the exciting future.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Christopher talking with Heather Williams of Ruckus Networks. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at mininetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at mininetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. Follow Networks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 410 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.